Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Koslowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. And same applies to any professional who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Light the Fight. As always, I'm your host, David, and as always, we're brought to you by 1-800-CONTACTS and Lingo Eyewear. If you want great prescription glasses or prescription sunglasses, go to www.liingoeyewear.com backslash light the fight. Use promo code light the fight and receive $30 off your first order. So now to the episode. Today's episode, I'm going to be answering a question from Patreon. Patreon, if you're not familiar with Patreon or don't know what it is, it's uh, a paywall basically where you pay $5 a month, you get four extra episodes from Light the Fight from me, and you also get a chance to interact and ask questions. I'm taking one of the questions from one of our patrons that was nice enough to submit a very good question. In fact, the reason why I think it's such a great question is because it pertains to suicide but not necessarily the typical suicide question like how do you help someone that's suicidal. This question is more about what happens after someone has a serious suicide attempt. So let me get to this question and give you, the person who asked the question, and also all of our listeners out there, whether you're a parent, a teacher, a concerned loved one, a coach, a therapist, anyone that works with youth, have kids that maybe have friends that are struggling, this information will be helpful because this is a little details that I found throughout the years in my private practice that has helped me encourage kids after the fact, but also not shame them or blame them or make them feel bad and constantly ripping open that wound and reminding them of the difficult time that they went through. Here we go. I have a question for you that I'm wondering if you could address. It's so good that there are more and more resources becoming available for suicide prevention. However, it can be hard to address the question of moving forward when a loved one has attempted suicide but thankfully did not succeed. How do you talk to someone who has attempted? I would never want to make them feel worse, guilty, or feel any kind of shame, but how do you express your relief that they survived their attempt? I find myself wanting to say something like, please don't ever do that again, or we need you here. Would saying something like this do more harm than good? Again, thanks so much for all you do. Well, as I mentioned before, this is a great question, hence the reason why I chose this one. So I'm going to start at the very bottom of that and answer um, when she said, um, saying things like, please don't ever do that again, or we need you here. Would saying something like that do more harm than good? I don't want to go as far as to say that it's going to do more harm because that really depends upon the person that you're saying this to and where they're at. Now, in the worst case scenario, if they're really sensitive, if they're ashamed about what happened if they kept it a secret or they don't want anyone else to know about it and don't really feel comfortable talking about it, then yes, saying something like, um, please don't ever do that again is definitely a statement I would never suggest someone to make because that, in my opinion, that's more about your fears and it can be taken, it can be taken in the sense that you're projecting your fears onto the person and telling them, to not do that again, as if it's something that they planned, uh, they did intentional, or is it something that they had some sort of control over? I don't want anyone to feel like that. You don't want anyone to feel like that. So that one, I would say, steer away from that one. The second one, we need you here. 
that, depending upon how you say it, could actually just be, uh, let me put it to you this way. Uh, imagine this scenario and situation. You're having a good conversation with someone. They open up to you. They're telling you about how they're, they're scared um, about going back to a dark place, how they, they don't want to feel suicidal again. Now, if you were to say, you know, I, I don't want you to feel that way again either because we need you here. The sentiment, the, the facial expression, the body language, the overall, your disposition when you say it, that could be a very great thing to say. Now, if you were to put those two together, please don't ever do that again because we need you here and it's very forceful and it's very intense and that person's in a vulnerable place, that may not be the best thing to say. So I wouldn't suggest that. So now let's move back to um, how do you help someone? So how do you talk to someone who has attempted? Now, after an attempt, again, I am a therapist. I'm giving suggestions and ideas, but I'm not telling you what to do because I don't know the scenario that you'll be in the place that the person's in, if it's years after their attempt, a couple days after their attempt. But I will say, when you're talking to someone after attempt, and if you have a good relationship with this person, you always want to focus on the things about that person that they're doing presently, that you're happy with, that you're able to see is something that you can give them a compliment for, some sort of congratulation about how hard they're working. So it could sound something like this. Even though I know you went through what you did last year, last month, referring to the suicide attempt, I know this is not who you are, even though it is what you went through. I always use something similar to that, and I like that. It's because you're not negating that it, it happened. You're not trying to just go, you, you know, just, just think happy thoughts and you'll be fine. And you're not avoiding that this was a real thing. You're acknowledging it. But you're also acknowledging that that's what you went through and it's not who you are. It's safe to say everyone I've ever talked to that had a serious suicide attempt, close call, and you know they're thankful and happy and they started to get better. They didn't want that to be their identity. They didn't want that to be who, who, what they're known for. And I think the same could be said for someone, I have a close family member, they lost their child in a bad accident when they're like two years old. Their child passed away and... Unfortunately, the parent witnessed the accident happen right in front of them. That person would tell me that when they'd get introduced to other people in the future, they would say, hey, this is so-and-so. And then as they would walk away, they'd pull someone else aside, the person they introduced to them and say, hey, that's the family I told you about, that they lost their kid, that they died. And they would always add that as a part of who they are. Now, I know when people were introducing someone to my family member, their intention was to give people inside information to help that person understand that this person should be treated differently, should have some sort of reverence or extra regard for that person because of what they went through. But when talking to my family member, it got to a point where they didn't want to be known for that. If it was something that they chose to share with their, uh, a new person that they met, they wanted that to be their choice. They wanted to be something that they said, hey, I feel comfortable talking to that person. I would like to share that with that person. I always tell people when you introduce a loved one or when you're talking about a loved one who has had a serious suicide attempt, you don't want to make that a part of the introduction, even if you're feeling that it would be good for this person to know that about them. People are very protective of the people that they've lost. So in my family's case, when they lost their child, they're protective of that death. Also, people can be protective of their suicide attempts. 
because that information, depending upon the person, may be information that could cause people to look at them differently. Now, if the person chooses to share that information that they had a suicide attempt with someone else and they choose to talk about it, it's because they've deemed that that person that they're talking with is trustworthy or there's some sort of connection that made them feel comfortable and open and they just wanted to share that. That's why when I talk about helping people after an attempt, I like to talk to them as if this is not a part of who they are. It is just what they went through. Now, the next part of this question I want to address is, how do you talk to someone who has attempted? Would you would you ever want to, um, she would never want to make them feel guilty or any sort of shame or something like that. One thing that's not mentioned this that I think is relevant to bring up is parents will tell me after an attempt, they're still very traumatized when their child or their loved one has moved on. And this is very common. You can find that when someone goes through a suicide attempt because it happened to them, and then let's say a few weeks later, they're not in that dark place anymore, situations of their life has changed. Maybe they're getting help. Maybe they went to the hospital. Maybe they just made some big changes. And so now they're not in that dark of place. It's pretty common that that type of a person may act as if they're normal when the family members and the people who are around that were supporting them through that are still going through the trauma. They're still grieving of like what just took place. And if it's a parent with their own child, they could be very fearful. They could be very um, protective and they could be living in the place like it's still an option. Now, when I've had parents with their kids get in these types of debates and arguments, and it can turn into an argument sometimes, unfortunately, the parent is wanting the child to give them validation that the child is okay. But the parent's doing it in a way sometimes where the parent needs constant validation and the child feels, um, they feel burdened by that and it makes them feel like they can't separate themselves and heal from that situation. So in those situations, I tell parents, have a certain code word, have a certain inside thing with your child that you can ask them where are they at with their mood, how are they doing. The child can report that information back without making the information known so that the whole world or people in the room aren't aware of this. I like to use the hot sauce scale is what I call it. So the hot sauce scale is mild, medium, hot, ghost pepper. So a week or two, sometimes longer after a suicide attempt, someone comes home from the hospital or let's say they didn't go to the hospital, but it was, you know, it was an attempt nonetheless. Instead of having the parent saying, are you suicidal? Do you, do you want to kill yourself today? Will you tell me if you want to kill yourself today? Because that could be very intrusive and, and not get the response that they want from their child. I will have them check in with hot sauce. They will say, hey, I'd really like to know how you want your food today. And the kid may look at them and go, what do you mean I, I want my food today? Let's say there's siblings, other people around. And then the parent can kind of give them that like kind of wink a little bit. It's like what I'm referring to is I, I, I'm, really, uh, I'm really wanting to check in with you to see if, uh, you want, if your hot sauce is uh, mild, medium, hot, or ghost pepper today. Then the kid remembers the conversation I had with them in a counseling session. Because by the way, I forgot that part. I usually establish this in a counseling session that says, I say, hey, when you're at home, when you're in public situations, when you're on a trip and family are around, you don't want to make it a big deal and cause a lot of attention, ask about where are they at, but using hot sauce. That way, when they're outside of my counseling session, it brings them back to that moment. The kid goes, oh, that's right. In the counseling session, I'm supposed to say mild, medium, hot, or ghost pepper, and ghost pepper is 
I am suicidal and I'm feeling that way. I'm having those thoughts and it's really intense right now and I need serious help. Hot is, hey, I'm having a really hard day. I've had those thoughts and I've been entertaining them and I might need some help. Medium is, uh, it kind of comes and goes. You know, I, it's not that bad right now, but I have been having some sort of feelings like that. Mild is, you know, it's, it's something right now that I'm really not thinking about much and I'm doing a little bit better. And every now and then they can say, you know, I don't need any hot sauce at all right now. I'm good. That is obviously they haven't been having any thoughts and they're doing really good. A parent can ask about hot sauce more frequently without triggering that shame or that embarrassment, especially that other people may find out a whole lot easier. And if they can communicate it easier without triggering any of those things, then the child can also relay the information to where they're at a lot easier as well. It's a great way to check in. And even though this wasn't in the question, I thought it was important to mention because it's something that's worked for a lot of my clients throughout the years. And like most of the things I found throughout the years that worked, it's because people in counseling sessions with me came up with this idea or I had a thought and then we talked about it and we came up with this plan. So these inside languages and inside things is a great way to talk about, to get a heat check is what I call it, to see where their temperature is at, not just, you know, literally with hot sauce and food, but we're using that obviously as a metaphor to help them communicate a lot easier about where they're at. Now, the other thing I want to add to this, um, she's saying, I find myself wanting to say things like, please, those types of comments. One more comment that I would like you to know is that when someone has already had a suicide attempt and they've survived it, you can make things such as statements to let them know you're thankful that they're doing better and that you're also there for them if they aren't doing good. That you love them regardless where their mood is. If they're suicidal, if they're not suicidal, you love them regardless. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I call this connection before concern. So it sounds something like this. The connection would be, you know, I'm so thankful that even everything that you've went through and that we've went through, even though as hard as it was, it's made us closer it makes me feel like I understand you better. And in the past, I might've been like asking you a bunch of questions about how your mental health was, how your mood was. But now I feel confident that our relationship's good enough where that you would come to me if you're struggling or at least give me some sort of a sign. So thank you so much for telling me and for involving me and letting me be a part of what you went through. Because the last thing I want to do is to have you go through a difficult time alone when I could have helped you. That is, you share, the con- you share the connection that you're thankful that you have a good relationship, but then you share the concern is that, hey, even though we have a good relationship, I trust that you would share something with me now or at least give me some sort of input. And then if you want to add something, you could also add this. So in the future, please just know that I'm here for you, whether it's about a suicidal thought or feeling or whether it's just about having a bad day. I'm not going to look at you as if every time you're having a bad day, it automatically means you're suicidal because that's not true. And that's actually rarely the case. People have low moods and go through difficult times. And even someone that's attempted suicide, it doesn't mean every time they go through a difficult day or have a difficult mood or struggling in some way, shape or form, it doesn't mean that that is always going to go to the extreme, which is obviously them feeling suicidal or attempting it. When you're building a connection or relationship with someone, it's really important to state 
that you acknowledge that you have a connection with that person. And then after that, you can share the concern and at the end, add with uh, end with more connection. If you've ever written a story in school, I don't know if you guys remember this or I don't know if they still do this, but they used to talk about a sandwich. You put the fluffy stuff in the beginning of writing the story. That's the bread. You put the meat in the middle. That's the concern. And then at the very end, you put more fluffy stuff. That's the bread again. That's another reminder of the relationship. So connection, concern, and then connection, just like writing a story where you put the fluffy stuff in the beginning, the meat in the middle, and end with more fluffy stuff. So thank you again for whoever sent in this question. And uh, if you're interested in asking me questions and having me answer those questions and communicate with you directly, please check out our Patreon on www.patreon.com backslash light the fight. And like I said, it's just $5 a month. But if not, keep on listening to the free stuff on YouTube, on Instagram, on Apple, on uh Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Light the Fight. And as always, thank you for helping us to light the fight.